Today's reading is Luke chapter 8, verse 4 through 15. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This is the word of the Lord. On Friday, January 12th of 2007, a man uh, came up out of the La Font uh, metro station in Washington, D.C., comes into the station, pulls out a small case, and opens it, and with from the case he pulls out a violin. He then takes some money, a few dollars and some change, puts it in the case and turns it around, and begins to play. He plays six classical pieces, starts at 7.51, and for the next 43 minutes, he works his way through six kind of obscure classical pieces. And as he does so, 1,097 people pass by him. You know, but this man was not just your ordinary street musician. This man played, was, was, uh, as he stood against the bare wall of the metro station next to the trash can and played these songs, this man is one of the greatest classical musicians in the world right now. World-renowned violinist Joshua Bell. He also played no mere normal pieces. He played some of the most difficult and challenging works in a row, back to back. And he played on what is one of the most famous and expensive instruments in the world. It was a 1713 Stradivarius violin that is so famous and so expensive that it's actually named. It's called the Gibson X Huberman. His performance was arranged by the Washington Post as an experiment. They were trying to see if a person... Playing music, an excellent musician, playing music, but in a different context, looking nondescript, the man's wearing jeans, a white shirt, and a Washington Nationals baseball cap. They wanted to see if anybody would notice. They wanted to see who would have ears 
to hear what this man was playing, who this man was. And, you know, Bell, just three days before this event, had sold out the um, Boston Symphony Hall, and the, the cheap seats were for 100 bucks. He, had, he was about to receive a, a tremendous uh, honor that, that, uh, in April of that year as premier, one of the premier classical musicians of the world. He also, um, two weeks later, at Music Center in, in Strathmore, North Bethesda, he would play to a standing room audience. And yet here he is in the middle of the metro playing for free, playing for anyone who will listen. And so the Washington Post conducted this experiment, and they asked the director of the National Symphony, um, Leonard uh, Slatkin, he asked this, they asked him this question, how many people do you think will stop and listen? And he's, he thought about it. He said, you know, hypothetically speaking, if one of the world's greatest classical musicians appears in a nondescript setting, and there's people on the way to work, it's rush hour, 7.50 in the morning, they ask him, what do you think will happen? He said, well, it probably would do better in Europe. But he says, you know, probably he'll get 75 to 100 people will stop. How many do you think had ears to hear that morning? Seven. Seven people over the course of 45 minutes stopped to hear him. You know, seven people heard the free concert that others had paid ridiculous amounts for. Seven people stopped what they were doing to tune in to this rare gift. This the same challenge, who has ears to hear, is exactly what we read in this passage this morning. That Jesus directs this question to the crowd. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And this morning, we're beginning our study of parables for this, this semester. And, you know, this is really a parable about parables. It's, it's asking the question of us, how are you hearing God's word in your life? How are you hearing God's word? My outline for this morning is very simple. I'm going to basically look at this. What are, you, what are you hearing? How are you hearing? And who are you hearing? Or more simply, the seed, the soil, and the sower. Let's look at God's word together. Jesus tells us in the passage that a farmer goes to sow some seed. And he, one of, this is one of the few parables that Jesus actually interprets for his people as well. Where he says, no, you know, this is, I'll tell you exactly what's going on here. The farmer is God. And God comes and scatters his word in the world. And the seed, I think it's very significant, don't you? That Jesus would choose the image of a seed. He referenced this in other parables of his later. We'll read about the mustard seed. We'll read about that later this semester. But one of the fascinating things to me is, why would Jesus liken the word of God to a seed? I think for two reasons. One is, a seed is so insignificantly small. Right? I mean, it's, it's, you can pass by. It's, it's, you can't see it in the grass. It's tiny. The other is the slowness of a seed. The slowness of a seed. A seed has incredible transforming power. In fact, you know, you've, you've probably seen hiking in the woods, out of the Wissahickon Trail, other places, a seed that gets into a crevice in a rock, and the roots go in, and it has the power over time to split rock itself. And yet, its transforming power is slow. It's almost impossible to view without going back over time. So, Jesus says, you know, 
my word, God's word, scattered in this world is like a seed. And it's helpful for us to think about this with regard to studying parables this semester. We're going to look at the parables of Jesus. And a parable, the word actually means something thrown alongside. Para, thrown, uh, para, alongside, bole, thrown. It's something that's just kind of, it, you're walking along and you pick this up and you say, what, what is this doing here? Jesus tells these stories and, you know, most of the stories don't mention God by name. Most of the stories are about farmers and people are trying to build towers and about a neighbor who comes to want to borrow bread in the middle of the night, about someone who wants to ha- start a war. They're about wedding banquets. They're about crooks and beggars and fig trees, ordinary stuff. And yet Jesus over and over tells these parables in such a way that you have to, that, that, there, as one writer said, there, it's like an earthquake opens up at the ground at your feet. Something bigger is going on in the parable. It, you know, it's, it's something where you, you have, it, it calls on you to enter into the story, to find yourself in what's going on in this story. And you know, Jesus uses these parables to help us to see. You know, it's very confusing. When you read this passage, some people have been like, what is going on? I mean, you read it here in verse 10. In verse 10, Jesus talks about they may see, seeing, they may not see, hearing, they may not hear, they may not understand. And it sounds like tricky Jesus. You know, like Jesus has got these, you know, Rubik's Cube-like puzzles for us to solve. You know, how am I going to get this one? You know, and the point is actually not that he's trying to be purposely obtuse. The point is that the parables are not meant to be tricky, they're mysterious. Because they don't just, they're not just simple to understand, they actually read you. The word of God, you know, as Jesus scattered his seed, he's he's walking around telling these parables, and they actually read your life and my life. They cause us to have to say, I can't just be detached from this. I can't just consider this. I have to pick it up and say, what is this doing here? They have explosive power. They have transforming power. The seed. Do you have ears to hear? That's what they ask us this morning. And, you know, if the main point of this parable is, do you have ears to hear, then Jesus provides us some, some really helpful ways of figuring out the answer to that question. He gives basically this test, these different kinds of soils, right? Four types of soils, and they're, they're meant to be like tests that you, you kind of run these on yourself, and you say, is this true of me? Now, this is particularly near and dear to my heart, because when I was in seventh grade, my science fair project was driving all, around my, the county in East Tennessee, where I grew up, and getting soil samples. And I got the little plastic baggies, not the same ones you see all over Philly, but the little plastic baggies. And I filled them full of dirt and I brought them back home and I ran them through a series of tests. And, you know, we, we basically, I made this big map of the county and showed all the places where there was, you know, pollution in the soil. The soil had been abused by farmers. It had been, you know, it was worthless. And in, in a lot of ways I said, look, the, the, the conclusions of my science fair project were, there's a soil crisis in my county. And 
Incidentally, as I've told you many times before, I have a nerd portfolio to rival the best of you. I was grand champion at the science fair that year. I mean, I, I know this stuff, right? Don't, don't mess with me. Um, but, you know, this parable is meant to say in your life and my life, is there a soil crisis? You know, what is the condition of your heart? As you hear God's word, what is the condition of your heart? And Jesus shows us four types of soil. In fact, some people have said, maybe this should actually be the parable of the soils. Because the point seems to be so much about the soils. Let's look at these in turn. First, Jesus describes the seed that falls on the path, right? The path, the hardened ground. And Jesus, you know, tells us about this. He says, when the seed comes and it lands on the ground, it doesn't permeate. It can't get through. The, the, the pathway is beaten down. It's tramped down. It's hard dirt. And the seed can't get in. It can't put roots down. And he tells us, this is a person who has heard, but the devil comes in and snatches away the seed so they cannot, it, it can't take root. And what is Jesus' test result on this type of soil? He's basically saying, be, beware. Beware of listening to God's word with a hard heart. With a hard heart. You know, I'm, I'm keenly aware of this as a preacher by trade. Every time I stand up in front of you, and I open God's word, and I talk about it, I am very aware that there are two results that happen everywhere as I speak God's word. That some of you are softened by it. And I can see it. I can see it in your eyes. I see your tears. I see you you, you taking things in. I see it penetrate. And others, many times I'm, I'm like, I don't know. Did that just bounce off? See, whenever you come here, I've got to warn you, beware. This is not a safe place for you. This is dangerous ground because anytime you hear God's word, it confirms something about you. It says either it's getting in or it's bouncing off. Either it's going to penetrate your life and you're going to respond to it or it's bouncing off of you. And, and I'm keenly aware that anybody who comes in here is either better off or worse off for having been in this place on a Sunday morning. Not just because I'm a average speaker, but because of God's power in his word to confirm our hearts. So think about this with me. What, is the, what does a hard heart look like? This is a person who never in many ways gets past the theoretical. You know, who, who kind of takes the truth about Jesus... And says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrestle with this intellectually. I'm going to, to engage with it. I'm going to dabble in it. I'm, I'm going to come and hear about it. But they never really take it off the hanger and put it on. They never really walk around in, a, in this stuff. You know, it's, it, it's never personal. It's intellectual. You know, it, it may be someone who never engages away. Christianity in a way that would put them in a position where they might actually have to change. You know, that's not really a fair shake at investigating Christianity. Some of you are here today and are not Christians, and we're really glad you're here. This is a church for people like you. Welcome. But I have to tell you, to be fair, you cannot investigate Christianity in a detached way. It has to be viewed from the inside. 
you cannot come at it and say, well, you know, I, I, I'll look at it, but I don't really, I'm not really open to it doing something here. I'm not really open to it actually getting in. Because that, that's how this works. You know, um, the philosopher Thomas Nagel is an atheist. And he writes in his book, The Last Word, he admits that you cannot come to the question of God in anything like a detached way. I, I like this quote. He says this, I wanted, I want atheism to be true. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally I hope I'm right in my disbelief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be God. I don't want the universe to be like that. I am curious as to whether there is anyone who is genuinely indifferent as to whether there is a God. Anyone who, whatever his actual belief about the matter, doesn't particularly either want one of the answers to be correct. You hear what he's saying? Nobody's neutral. Nobody comes to this question and says, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm just completely, I'm completely detached from this. I, I, can, I can look at this even-handedly. See, if you're going to investigate Christianity, you have to be honest with yourself. You have to say, am I willing to really let this thing get into my life? What about you? Some of you are here today with hard hearts. Some of you are here today with, like, the soil on the path. Like, like this guy, Thomas Nagel, you have a bias against this wanting to be true. You're sort of here, like, maybe a friend brought you, and you're like, I, I'll give the good, the good college try to this. I'll see maybe this is true or not. But you're not really vulnerable to the seed. Tim Keller writes in his book, Reason for God, he says this. He said, there was a Russian cosmonaut who came back from being in orbit around the earth and came back and he said, God wasn't up there. He looked and he didn't see anything. And C.S. Lewis responded to this. The Oxford professor and theologian responded that this was like Hamlet. This is like Hamlet going into the attic of the castle and looking for Shakespeare. You know, if there is a God, he would not be like another object in the play. He would not be another object in the universe that could be put into a lab and analyzed with empirical methods. He would relate to us like a playwright relates to a character in the story. We, characters, might be able to know quite a bit about the playwright, but only to the degree that the author chooses to put himself into the story. In this case, we could never prove God's existence as if he were an object wholly within our universe like oxygen or hydrogen or an island in the Pacific. Lewis gives another metaphor for knowing the truth about God when he writes that he believes in God, quote, as I believe in the sun shining in the sky, not because I look right at it, but because by it I see everything else. Imagine trying to look directly at the sun in order to learn about it. You would burn your retinas. You'd be unable to do any more investigation. A far better way is to learn about the existence and power and quality of the sun by looking at the world it shows you, to recognize how it sustains everything you see and enables you to see it. That's how God reveals himself in this world. What about you? Do you have a rocky, a hard heart? Do you have... Is there, is there a hardness to you? Are you really investigating? Or are you really doing this? Let's look at the second test. The rocky soil. Jesus describes the person with the rocky soil here. And he says, you know, it's like so, a, a seed that falls in a place where the soil is shallow. 
and underneath there are rocks. So the roots try to go down, and they can only go so far. And then when heat comes, you know, it withers because of lack of moisture. This is a person with with not a hard heart, with a shallow heart. And this is where the parable begins to get scary. You know, I... Sometimes when I, I preach, I'm very confident of what I'm saying. Sometimes I'm very scared of what I'm saying. This is kind of a scary parable. See, probably everyone here has known someone like this. Someone who embraces Christianity in such a way that you're like, man, something happened in this person's life. And they, they seem so genuinely full of joy. You, they, they seem like, man, they are really into this. They may bug you. They're so into it. You know, they're showing up. They're doing all this stuff, and yet it seems like all of a sudden they're gone. What happened? You're left going like, was that real? What was that? What was that that just happened? What does Jesus say about this kind of soil? It's a soil with a shallow heart. It's an emotional response, and it's only an emotional response. You know, there are many people who come to Christ in order to figure out what he can do for them. How Jesus can help me succeed in my plans for my life. How is Jesus going to help me get a little bit more on the road to reaching my goals? I'm struck many times by how much we want just a little bit of Jesus in our life, a little bit of God. We'd like a little bit more peace, a little bit more money, a little bit more contentment, a little bit more relationship. You know, we, want, we just want a little bit of God. See, the point of this parable is that God is not here to be an influence in your life. God is for transformation. God God is not like, hey, you know, I just want to be your helper. God is like, my role, what I'm about is making something totally new out of your life. You know, notice what causes the change in the parable, right? I described maybe one of your friends here. Emotional response, and then suddenly nothing. Notice what causes the change in the parable, right? The, the, the plant grows up very quickly. There's an immediate response, and then what happens? Heat. Heat. The sun comes out. There's suddenly some kind of trial. There's some kind of difficulty, and the plant withers like that. There's no moisture. There's no root. There's nothing going deep. There's a time of testing. You know... This is, this is very much like our lives. Look, when the heat, when, when difficulties come, when hardship comes into your life, when things suddenly are not working out for you, it shows, it reveals which thing you are worshiping. Are you worshiping God or are you worshiping this other thing? And God was your way to get to it. See, because what happens it, when, when the heat comes, it shows What was your real savior? Is it what withered? Is it what withered? Or is it God? Are you rooted? You know, the moment if I don't get what I want, then Jesus becomes negotiable. You know, I'm done. Man, I tried this. This was a crock. This wasn't real. You know, this isn't just modern people. We didn't. We don't. We're not that sophisticated and innovative. We didn't come up with this ourselves. <clears throat> if you read the Old Testament, 
my favorite part of the Bible. I love the Old Testament. You read back in Exodus, and you read in Exodus about the people who had come out of Egypt. They'd been enslaved, the Hebrew people. God's people had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And, you know, this is the Moses story. Moses comes, and he convinces after a long time and a lot of series of, like, dramatic production, a lot of miracles, you know, finally the Pharaoh agrees, okay, you can let my people go. The Pharaoh, like, does this kicking and screaming. And these people have seen ten plagues come on Egypt. They escape through the desert. God parts the Red Sea. They see this stuff. They see God provide for them. He provides for them um, bread from the sky and quail meat to eat. And God continues to do these amazing things. And so he brings them to this mountain. And it's a mountain that's covered in fog and there's lightning and fire and it is a scary place. And Moses, their leader, trusty Moses, goes up on the mountain and disappears to be with God for a few days. And the people, after he's been gone a little too long, get a little nervous. And Aaron, Moses' brother, says, hey, bring me your jewelry. And they come and they bring him all their jewelry and he he says, I threw it in the fire and out came a golden calf. Well, he, he made a, an idol of a golden calf. And you're like, what happened? You know, I'm looking at the story. I'm like, stupid Israelites. <laughs> you know, you were, you were all about it. You, you, you had the like, you saw everything and you turned like that. What does it show us? The Israelites had shallow hearts. Like many of us. You know, the difficulties demonstrate what our real saviors are. What our real hope is in. And they show us, am I rooted in God or was I using, was I trying just to get God to help me get to this thing? Because Jesus is not just helper, he's savior. He's, he's either ultimate in your life or he's not in, he's, he's, he's something else. And that means nothing else. You know, an issue is this. Are you, how are you hearing? Are you hearing God's word? With a shallow heart. So, you're hearing God's word with a rocky heart. Are you hearing God's word with a shallow heart? And finally, let's move on to the soil with the thorns. Now, you know, it's easy to see, isn't it, that the first two types of soil are not Christians. They're people, you know, they don't have any root. They're described as rootless. They're not down deep into the soil. The, the plant doesn't go deep into the soil. The seed doesn't penetrate. But this third group, it's kind of hard, isn't it? I mean, you look at this parable and you're like, it's very clear that the first group, the seed that goes on the path, is not connected to God. It just bounces away. It's, second that, it's clear that the second group looked like it was connected to God, but it's not. And it's clear that the last soil, the good soil, is very much connected with God. And yet, the third one, what do you do with it? See, see what it describes is the seed goes into the soil... There's roots that go down, and yet it grows up and thorns grow around it and choke it. And what does Jesus say about this? This represents someone who the world's worries and cares and pleasures come and choke the seed. Come and choke the plant. You know, see, the third group, surrounded by thorns, I would say, like, look, we had the, the hard heart and the shallow heart. This represents someone with a distracted heart or a divided heart. See, whereas the, the second soil is someone who says, you're really controlled by this thing that they want, and God is a way to get to this thing. 
This is a person who says, no, I genuinely believe in God. I genuinely want him, but I also want something else. I also am, there's shared control. It's like, have you ever taken driver's ed? When I took a driver's ed, there was a car that had a steering wheel, but on the floor it had two sets of brakes, right? And there's one for the guy who's, or woman who's driving with you to slam the brakes on as you're driving. You know, and it's sort of like that. It's like you've told God you can be in the front seat. You, there, you are in control of my life. There's another set of controls. You know, I can take over at any moment I want to here. Because there's other things that I'm pursuing in my life. Shared ownership. Now, think about with me. What is shared ownership? Like, what are the things that this person is controlled by in addition to God? You know, is it, say, like, terrible sins? You know, they have two wives? You know, they're drug dealers? No, these are... This is someone who's controlled by God, but other good things. Other good things. Other things that you're like, you know, a career is not a bad thing. A relationship is not a bad thing. You know, financial security, those are good things. And yet, those are things that can share control of Jesus in your life. There are many, we could make a long list of these things. But they're not the bad things, Right? These aren't the like technicolor sins. These are the good things of life that become worries and cares and pleasures that choke out the seed. The C.S. Lewis described this as a conflict between first order priorities and second order priorities. He's like, look, you know, the problem with our life is that there can't be more than one priorities. That's not a plural word. There's priority. There's prior. So the conflict is when first things are not first, but are put second. There's this deep conflict in the heart. Now, notice something else with me. You know, of the three types of soil, three of them are happy and one is miserable. Right? The first soil, the person with a hard heart, is happy. They're like, Christianity? You know, walk away. No biggie. The second person receives it with joy, walks away. That was like, yeah, that didn't really work. Tried that one on. Happy. Move on, not a big deal. The last soil, a person who's good soil, delighting in in God and what he provides for us, obviously happy. But this one alone is miserable. It's miserable, right? I mean, you see this in this parable. Like, this is the only person who's choked. That's not a contented state to be in. Who's struggling and suffering and like, I don't know what's going on. You know, are they in or out? Exactly. That's exactly how this feels. You know, they're not sure. I don't know if God loves me day to day. I don't know if I'm in or out. I don't know how I feel. I'm struggling all the time. You know, this is miserable. Why? Why? Why is this the position of being miserable? Because they know too much. See, this is not a person who's going to say, yep, Done with God. That didn't work. This is a person who's saying, you know, I'm not going to reject God. I'm not going to walk away from God. I'm not done with this whole thing. And yet, their life is not really given to God. There's shared control. There's deep, deep division within. You know, 
You're not going to walk away, but you're miserable because your work is way too important to you. You're not like, hey, I don't believe in the Bible anymore. You're like, but your relationships are ruling your life in such a way that you're like, I'm not really giving myself to this, and so I feel choked. I feel like something, it's just not right. You're not rejecting God, but you're not really in. Other things, second-order things have become first-order things, and you're miserable. And some of you are sitting right here today, and you're like, ah, yes, this is why I hate coming to church. Because I feel terrible. And you sort of know, you sort of know, but you're not courageous enough to say, I really want to do something about this. I'd really like to get some help. I'd like someone else to know what's going on. I'm going to make myself vulnerable to a friend and ask him to pray for me. I'm going to really step into the life of a community that's going to hold me accountable to something. I'm not going to get counseling. Why would I? Because you, you're like, I, you're torn. You know, you're also not convinced. And here's the real thing. You're not convinced that God really is out for your good. That he really loves you. That he holds in his hand life. And that by letting the soil really permeate, you know, by really saying, Jesus, I want to obey you. I want to live for you. I want to give you myself in a full way. I'm not going to have lockers in the basement or suitcases in the attic or things that I'm saying don't touch. But really saying, yes, I am all yours. You don't really believe that that's joy. You don't really believe that's life. You don't really believe that God is out for the good, for the best in your life. See, some of you are committed to Jesus. You got roots. How do you fare, though, in the soil test? How do you? How are you doing this morning? You know, with the little baggies in the soil testing kit, what, what comes back? Is there a soil crisis? I want to push that in our congregation. I want to push this. Is there a crisis in your life? I want you to hear. Are there ears to hear? You know, I tried to find the, this story. It's by uh, Charles Spurgeon. English uh, preacher, he he described this. He says, you know, look, we we as a church believe from the Bible that you can't lose your salvation. Look, you're on a voyage, you're on the boat ride to heaven, right? You're on the boat ride, and it's not possible for you to fall off the boat. If you're truly a Christian, if God's at work in your life, it's not possible to fall off the boat. But Spurgeon says this, it's very possible to fall on the boat, right? Break both arms. Crack a couple ribs, spend the entire journey in the infirmary, and have a miserable trip. Right? Some of you are like, yes, I know what this feels like. I'm in the infirmary. I I can feel that right now. Right? It's very possible to be someone who's saying, I know this is true. I'm not going to reject Jesus. And yet my life feels so divided. It's so broken. Two years ago, um, the city, or someone, I don't know who did, dumped a big pile of dirt behind our house, in the empty lot behind our house. And I mean, an enormous pile. And I was really excited about this because I've been wanting to have urban vegetable garden, you know. And I look at the pile, and I'm like, this is rich brown soil. 
And I'm, I've got plans to go spread it out and to begin to, like, start my urban garden. And my neighbor comes out, and he's like, don't do it. He's like, do you know where that soil's from? He said, that, that's sewage treatment plant soil. He's like, you don't want to eat any vegetables that grow out of that dirt. Now, I tell you that story because I think that it's very possible for other people around you to look at that and say, good soil, man. Yeah, everything looks together. Outside, man, yeah, why wouldn't we make a garden out of this? And you can fool everyone else. You can fool everyone else. And yet, deep down, that can be bad dirt. That can be bad dirt. You know, you have to find yourself in this story. How are you hearing God's word? Are you hearing with a hard heart, with a shallow heart, with a distracted heart? Or is there fruit being produced in your life? What kind of soil am I? It's a question I want everyone to consider. You know, but let me tell you, Jesus doesn't leave us here. And this is the great point of this, this parable. It's not like Jesus says, ha ha, you're bad soil. Right? I mean, Jesus, it's, it's not an invitation to rejection. See, Jesus tells the parables so you would find yourself in them and find him. And this is why I think that the right name of, you know, if you look in your Bibles, many of you have Bibles with little headings that were added by some editor sometime. They're not part of the Bible. And this one's called the parable of the sower. And I used to think for many years, that's a dumb name for this parable. This is really about dirt, right? The parable of the soils is what it should be called. But I actually think that's the right title because it's this. The point of the parables is to point you back to Jesus. It's to reveal It's to say, this is who you are. Now, will you deal with him? Will you come to him? Will you deal with the sower? Will you deal with the gardener? You know, think about dirt with me. Can soil change itself? Can dirt do anything to get rid of the rocks, to change its pH balance? No. See, the point of this parable is to push us back to God and say, God, you're the gardener. I see my heart. Would you come in with your plow? Would you come remove the rocks? Would you come and... I can't pull up the thorns in my life. I know that they're there and I know that they're choking me. But Lord, I need you. Come rip these things out. I'm not strong enough. You're not. You've tried, but you're not. The point of the parable is to push us back to this gardener. You know, I was listening to another pastor speak on this, and one of the things that he said is, look at what the gardener has done for us. Because we know about thorns. Jesus took thorns, and they were made into a crown, and they were placed on his head. Jesus knows about rocks. A giant one was put over his tomb for such things as these. Brothers and sisters, your Savior loves you. And he seeks your joy in your life in a way you could never, ever imagine. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, um... 
The story I told at the beginning of the sermon about the, the, the violinist Joshua Bell. One of the things that was noted for that time period as he passed, as he was playing, is the people who, the, the demographic that stopped, the demographic that that uniformly stopped to hear what he had, what he was playing, and it was children. Every time a child walked past, they tried to stop, and the parents would drag them on. The picture for us is this is how God calls us to relate to him as children. To come and say, I am helpless. I need you to work in my life. I have ears to hear. Would you play? Would you work? Would you transform? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.